CrossPolitik begins in three, two, one. Stop a heart that breaks for a dying city. Stop cursing your future. <laughs> Is not true. For all intents and purposes, I am a woman. No government, no political system has ultimate supremacy. Jesus is king of kings, and it's about time our nation returned in humble submission to his lordship. You are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. I didn't start it. Sir, sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. I didn't start it. Right, when the spirit comes upon people, they go to war. They go to battle, and the enemies of God are driven back, and they're slaughtered. You are listening to Cross Politic with Gabe Wrench, the Water Boy, Pastor Toby Sumter, and the Chocolate Knox. Hello, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politic. Thank you for joining us. We have uh, a guy who wrote a book coming on the show Money, Greed, and God. Jay Richards. Jay Richards coming on. Ooh, uh, it's good. Yeah, he's on. He we, we he was so good. We had him on for an interview, and then he stayed with us for the our our last segment. Last segment. Yeah, yeah you can't can't, can't two segments. Yeah. It's a one host, one guest. It's a two. Yeah, and really good. So hang around for that. We also want to remind you guys uh, to make sure you send us a memo. Do you like cross politic? Yep. Send us a memo. At what? What's the email address? Memo at crosspolitic.com. I remember. You got I it. Where to go? Nailed it. Yeah. And uh, also, so, yeah. Also, you can uh, you know you can you can share us, you share know, us, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, and you know, and if there's somebody that you want us to interview, you oh. think, oh, cross politic needs to talk to, tag them, yep. Ta- tag them on Facebook or tag on them Twitter. on Twitter, yep, and tag and us, tag cross politic. Yes. And uh, and you know, put us in touch. Yeah, say, hey, Trump, you should be on Cross Politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you do, and you tag him. I want Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I want Sanders. Yeah. Go yeah. go to Bernie yeah. Sanders. I want all yeah. our Cross Politickers yep. to go to Bernie Sanders' Twitter page and say, oh, Bernie Sanders, you gotta be on would, Cross Politics. We would love to hear you on Cross Politics. Let's do it with Cro- him and Jay Richards. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that would be great. We that's the best way to introduce people right now. Yeah, but you know, if you read an awesome book and you want to share it with us, be like, "Hey, I'd love for you guys to talk about this book. Yeah. Talk to this author. Um, yeah. Tag us and uh, and tag them, and we want to we want to do this." Oh, can I say one more thing? I went to iTunes uh, just the other day, and I went on there. I was just kind of like setting up my other phone. I actually have three accounts. I don't know about you guys. I have three accounts that Uh-oh. pull directly from iTunes, oh, wow. so that you know we can kind of have a few. Hey, I'm I'm at least three of our five listeners. You're in, increasing our <laughs> downloads. <laughs> I'm boosting a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I went on there and I saw that people were leaving comments, and and wow. boy, what nice comments people were leaving, wow. and what a blessing it was to see that what we do here is is actually encouraging the body of Christ. And not only that, but other people have found us because when you leave a comment. On iTunes, it actually makes the show valuable, and iTunes pushes it up in the list of shows to listen to. Whoa. And so go to iTunes, leave a comment there. I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to tell you what to say. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Just say, I don't like the show, and no one should listen to the show. Leave five stars. I love the chocolate knot. (laughs) Leave five stars, right? You can say whatever you want, just leave five stars. stars. That's all I'm going to tell you to do. Be like, Gabe, why you got to be wearing overalls all the time? Again, he did it twice It's overall Friday. It's overall. There's no such thing. I'm turning Friday into overall Friday. There's Taco Tuesdays, but there's no such thing as overall Friday. Look, go on iTunes, leave a comment Leave a comment on Gabe's bibs. I'll take a picture for you. And put it on the. <laughs> hey, I also, I also, I mean, I like it when people have been like, you know, sharing like the the merchandise they've been getting. You know, oh, the, that's the great. T-shirts that's cool. yeah. and the coffee and stuff, yeah. taking pictures. What's yeah. this one guy? He he did like a like a like a wood 
Do you see the sign? The wood yes. thing. That was amazing. What is that? Fight, laugh, feast. He, him and his wife did it, and apparently they made another one, and they said they were going to bring it when they come for Grace I'm, Agenda Conference. Oh, yeah. I'm spring. hanging over the studio oh, somewhere. Man. So they made two. That's love. Yeah, and, I just and want I'm, to point that out. That's love. I'm, it is. I'm saying it live on the radio, so hopefully it's true. He's gonna bring it. I hope so. They put it over the dining room table, right? Yeah, right. Is that what I thought? Last piece, yeah. It's what looked like in the picture. And the the artwork and looked beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, did you see my Christmas artwork? No. Yeah, you did. Uh -uh. No, we. I I drew the little cross and flag and cross politic, and I was and I posted on Facebook Christmas Day. I thought your kids did that. That was I know. That's about (laughs) as good as I can do. (laughs) That's my point. I I clicked that little Hmm. the little arrow in the corner that says I don't know I want to see posts from this person. Yeah, yeah. I I actually hit the one that said report. Is is there a text message that you do? You guys do on that? This is offensive. (laughs) This is offensive. (laughs) This is offensive. (laughs) All Gabriel's tweets are offensive. (laughs) But no, we we really Uh, appreciate you guys for listening to us. And yeah. just anything that you do when you share it and you Thank like you it, yeah, it help, really helps the show grow. And um, and so we appreciate that. Yeah. So don't stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or if there are people in your life who you think, man. They need some coffee. They need some cross-politic love. Yeah. 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 There they, you go. You know, I mean, th- share it with them. Yeah. Send it to them. Sign them up on our website. So one last yeah. point before we get into um, uh, news, news. We'll get into our news segment. Um, we're getting about 10,000 downloads a month. We're probably averaging about that. What? Um, so thank you guys. Yeah, super amazing. We've been going yeah, after this for, three, Are you doing for this? three months. Who are you paying We've been going after it for three months. Well, <laughs> it's what our data says. Well, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm three of the 10,000. So thank you, uh, everyone. And yeah. uh, one of wow. the ways you can help share us, too, is is a, you know join uh, in your groups on Facebook. Uh, share one of our shows that's maybe relevant uh, to that discussion. Yes. I've been doing that. Uh, I've joined some pro-life groups recently where they got maybe 10,000, 15,000 oh, yeah. members. What happened? You, yeah, like, I did. One of these. You- so I, I joined uh, this last week. I joined a couple pro-life uh, groups on Facebook because we had a couple pro-life shows that I wanted to yeah. share with those Alveda audiences. King and, and yeah. Alveda King and then the last and abortion, uh, now. And abortion and now with yeah. Mark Spittman. Apology already. Yeah. And so I went and joined some pro-life groups. And one of the pro-life groups I ended up joining was pro-life versus pro-choice. <laughs> And I didn't, I, I didn't quite read through it. I posted my show on there, our shows on there, and then I just got in this big debate, like wham, immediately, like within five minutes, people are yes. commenting on it. Dropped so a grenade. Dropped a grenade in there. Didn't know what I did, and uh, and so three hundred comments later, I've left the, I've just can't even follow it anymore. <laughs> oh, do it again, do it again. But yeah, it's it's What's great interaction. Pro life versus. I want to go in there. Pro, uh, I think it's pro choice versus pro life, or pro life versus pro choice. But yeah, just, send that group yeah. to me. I want to jump in yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, it's, Stir it's, it up it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So so. so Drop these, yeah. You can share these shows with with various groups. Yeah, um, yeah. as long you know, make sure the topics relevant, of course. But we want to be a blessing as far and wide as we can. So, yeah. Yeah. let's Absolutely. get to some news. Of course, Uh-oh. what's I'm going on? Excited for news today. What's going on? Good, yeah. good. I got I some. I got some good articles. This is actually uh, when you guys get to our interview with Jay. This came up just briefly, but um, uh, liberal churches are dying in the U.S. So Wapo has this article Yay. about liberal churches are not growing and conservative churches are thriving. Well. Um, and, and which is interesting cause that's why Jay basically left the P- our interview was with Jay Richards. Who's a Catholic now, but before that he was PCUSA, right? Liberal Presbyterian denomination and everything. And so liberal churches are dying. And, and they, it turns out if you don't believe in anything, people don't stick around. <laughs> why right? are we here? Why are we here? Like, right. No, just, just feel the what, vibes. So what, what was the reason that they're dying? Why are they dying? Yeah. Well, that, that was a, a big part of it is that they, they don't, aren't, they aren't, um, you know, uh, very doctrinally sound. They aren't very meaty in their doctrine. They don't have anything. They want some distinctives. They, they want some distinctives. They yeah. want something that they can bite into. Right. Right. Believe in. Now, what do we believe? Yeah. Uh, 
nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it changes every five years. Right, right. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's whatever you want it to be. Well, what do you feel? Yeah, How do you yeah, feel what, about what it? What do you want us to? Which, which my next article in all this. Um, it, did we just it, blow through an article like that? Yeah, no, we we're did. blowing through it. He's, but here's why we're blowing through it is because, you know, the liberal denominations, I mean, they, you know, you, you give them five years and they'll accept anything, basically. Yeah. You give enough pressure, enough right. time, and they'll, they'll accept even everything. accept cross politic. Yeah, Lord wow. willing. <laughs> if we can get into those liberal denominations, man, come on. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm in. And, and so the the new movement that they're going to be accepting is the transabled people. Oh no, I've yes. heard about this. You've heard about this. So it's been going on for a while now. So National Post, a number of number of news outlets have have hit What's on this. Transabled people who are Purposely. perfect. Yeah. They're per, they're healthy. And they, but they feel transabled, so they break a leg, or they they actually go and have surgery to disable themselves. Yes. Oh. So <laughs> Toby, we just so, blew Toby's mind. So uh, you're That's perfectly what, well, yeah. and you're like, you know what? Which is, I feel which like which is actually what transgendered already is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. right? Yeah. People yeah. like a perfectly yeah. healthy oh. girl, perfectly healthy boy. Oh. Yeah. Decides good. to make themselves disabled. That's, That's right. good stuff, That's right. Right, right there, Pastor. To make themselves a second class. You know, woman or man. So transabled makes sense. <laughs> that well, just that was good. They're already yeah. doing that. Yeah. Well, isn't that insulting too, though, to someone who says, "I'm actually had an accident. I would like to be made whole." Right. You know, I'm. I'm. It's I'm not, absolutely I'm not the insulting. Way, yeah. Yeah. In the right. same way that uh, you know, Richard, what's his name, Bruce Jenner. Yes. Yeah. Bruce Jenner saying, "I am a woman." Yes. And gets an SB award. That is insult. That's absolutely to every right. woman. Yep. Made in the image of God. On the front of Cosmopolitan. Absolutely not. Every woman should be absolutely offended. Yeah. You are not a woman. You can't get a surgery and be a woman. You can't take some drugs and be a woman. Yeah. That's right. not a woman. You think that's what a woman is? Right. right. Like, how reductionistic is that? Woo! Yeah. Right. And I think this, this well, kind of plays into- How do you really into... feel, Pastor? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay. And, <laughs> keep going, and, keep going. And it's the same thing with the, with the, yeah. the disabilities. Yeah, that's right. right. You are insulting every person that was born- Without the ability to see or hear or born without, you know, with the disease or born without a, an, an arm or a leg, yep, yep. Yeah. you are insulting them. That's right. Their, their hopes and dreams and goals are to be healed and whole one day yeah. in the resurrection. Yeah. Amen. And you did what? Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's marring the image of God. Imago Day, you're made in the image Absolutely, of God. Yeah. And what you're saying is, I don't like the way God made me. God, you made a mistake. Yeah. Both of those situations are saying that. Yeah. God, you made a mistake, and I don't like it, and I'm going to try and fix it. And you, it never goes well. Yeah. I think <laughs> – yeah, flush, flush this out with me too. I think this counts as you – know, we got Vody Bakken coming out here who? in a couple of weeks. Pastor Vody Bakken. Oh, yeah. Coming he, out. Doctor, uh, you mean? And he's going to do a big event. What's he coming out for? A, a bunch of events for us. And and one of the events he's going to do is is why gay is not the new black at University of Idaho. Right. Which is kind of the Thursday same – Thursday night. Thursday night, January twenty sixth, seven thirty, University of Idaho, sub ballroom. Yes, but why the, gay is not the new black? The oh, reason Dr. why Dr. we're Dr. doing Dr. this topic is kind of the same principle that we're talking yeah, about, right? Right? Is here right. we have this sexual My homosexuality movement. is the same thing as your blackness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no. that which should be offensive. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Every every person LGBTQRXYZ who's yeah. claiming to be in the same situation. Yep. Right? Yep. As, as, as Southern Af- slavery. As Africans that were enslaved, <laughs> yeah. sold and bought and and and, and I'm just going to sit here and listen yeah. while you preach. Go ahead. You know, that is an insult. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's an it absolute is. insult. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And, and you, but part of it, though, part of it is that the movements that we've had haven't been, so, especially when it comes to that, haven't been solidly rooted in the gospel. This is why Christians, right. when we see something happening, look, Christian, 
Don't turn your eye to social things. When you see something happening in the world, in the community, maybe it's not happening in our local community, but when you see stuff like Black Lives Matter, a lot of people aren't connected to that because they're not really in that environment, that community. But don't be silent about what the Bible says about that. Don't be silent about engaging it with the scripture, Mm, right? So even though you might yourself might not be engaging that in your life, speak into it biblically because what happens is just like the civil rights movement, sometimes people will be engaged with it in a social mindset. Well, everybody should be treated fair. Everybody. And what does God say? The problem is, is is sentimentalism has been driving Mm. our culture for the last hundred, 150 years. Right. I I noticed this even, I I wrote an essay a number of years ago on uncle Tom's cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Even there, um, it's, it's a mix. It's a mix Mm. in places. She's appealing to God's word. In places, she's appealing to human reason. That's right. But yeah. a lot of it, she's still appealing to human sentiment. 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 What do you mean by that? What do you and, mean? And, and the problem is, is now I don't have any problem with the sentiment. So the idea is, you know, somebody who's being literally mistreated, treated unjustly, right. you ought to feel compassion. Something happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> when that feeling bad supplants the word of God yes. and what is just and unjust, yeah. and now your standard has become, I, this makes me feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you well, go. well, now, if you know, if an LGBTQ person feels like they're being mistreated yes, and, and, yes. and you feel bad for yeah. them, yeah. This, already, this is what happened with the whole homosexuality thing. You, right. People felt bad for them first because yep. it, it was a disability, basically. Yep. Right. That's what, it got downgraded from a sin to a disability. Yeah, yeah, I was just yeah, born yeah. this way. And that's how Bodhi... Um, right. Vody lays that out, and, and then you feel bad for them, and then not only do you do you feel bad for them, you have to st- you start being protective and defensive of them, and then ultimately you celebrate them, mm. and that's and that's what happened yes. o- over the last you know forty years with homosexuality, right. uh, wow. but but that ha- that happens when your grounding, your standard, is your sentiment, yeah, your feeling. This makes me feel bad, yeah, but the, but that, that's actually initially irrelevant, yeah. Yeah. Because cer- some things make you feel bad that are good for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My kids say, you know, peas make me feel bad. Yeah. You yeah. Know, well, they're good for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it makes me feel bad to get up this early in the morning. Yeah. I'm sorry. You got to go to school, son. Yeah. Right. That's you, right. You're going to it makes me feel bad to go confess that I stole something. Yeah. Another thing, too, is people take the feeling bad and use that as their application of what they should do then. That I shouldn't yeah. wake, wake up and get in the morning. The drive. No, no. You, if you kill a child, you should feel bad, right? Yes. But God has a standard of what you should do also, right? So it's not just don't let your feeling bad drive the conversation. Right. Feel bad and then question, Lord, what does your word say I should do? Right. Am I actually right about this feeling? And then what should I apply to from your word? What should I apply to my life? With, with what you say about the situation. Yeah. Second right. Corinthians yeah. 10, I think it's, it's Second Corinthians towards the end. I'll Paul, help you. Paul says, uh, <laughs> Paul says that there is a kind of sorrow that leads to death. Come on now. Yeah. Right? There's a kind of sorrow that leads to death. And so you, people feeling bad, being sorry, and they're, and they're headed headlong into death. Yeah, right. And that's, right. that's a case in point of what's happening with the transgender thing, the homosexuality yeah. thing, um, uh, this what did you call it? Transableism. Transabled. Right. Yeah, yeah. Feeling yeah. bad. Yeah. Feeling bad and running headlong. Biological yeah. deniers. And I got one Death. more for you. Going down the same train of thought here. Um, uh, experts say marriage will be legal between uh, a human and a robot by 2050. Yeah. Mm. So you've you've heard kind of the. I'm sure you've seen some sort of articles. Uh, I, I saw the top, actually. What was this? This is with Fortune. Okay. Yeah. Time. Picked the, I'm pretty sure time picked 
that article up and tweeted it. Oh, really? And and said, uh, yeah, and said uh, <coughs> the the, mar- the headline was, yeah, marriage be- with robots. Experts say it's coming or yeah. something like that. Yep. Uh-huh. And I think they were actually linking the Fortune article. Article, okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a couple things here that I want to discuss to you yeah. guys. Uh, one is only a couple. No, only a couple. Yeah. Don't, don't get me started. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, um, the, the liberal church is going to have to um, sanctify marriage between robot and man here pretty soon. If, if, <laughs> <laughs> well, they have to, or, or sorry, they're discriminating. And then, secondly, here, um, if uh, if let's say a husband cheats on his wife with a robot, what do you do? Yeah, adultery. Is that adultery? Well. Uh, see, it's, it's adultery like like porn is adultery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that... And he's got a robot problem. This changes my whole tone. And, and, <laughs> oh, Gabe. This changes, oh, there's so much to work with. Yeah, Go th- ahead. This changes my whole tone and attitude because for me, when I look at this, this is where I say the church has given something God has given them and they've given it over to the state. This is not the realm of the state. Marriage is not the realm of the state. Not it's to the, define it. It's the realm of the church. Right. No, but the church, the, if someone is um, breaking a law, then the government says, okay, yeah. you know, so adultery, those kind of things, I think, are some can some way in, in an ideal society reach up to state issues, Absolutely. right? Yep. Um, but well, the it's, one- it's also, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. No, you, no, go ahead. It's also the state's interest because there is a. It is the state's responsibility to protect things like property and inheritance. I agree, right. um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. There's things like that, that, but the state doesn't sanctify. They don't bless the marriage. Sure, that's ultimately what I'm going after, right? Right. right. This, and, and what we've done is we the state blesses the marriage, and so they're over. So now they can define whether or not a man can marry a a car. They can define whether or right. not they can marry another man. Right. That, but, you know. but ultimately this is, I mean, th- we can say the same thing in one sense about, it's not the church. The church doesn't get to decide what a marriage is either. God gets no, to no. decide what a marriage no. is. That's right. Um, and it's it's created, it's right. a creation ordinance. But yes. And that the state and the church are required by God to submit to God in. Yes. But only. And have different roles to play. But the state is the one blessing the right marriage. Now. Yeah, right right now. Yeah. Cuz right the now state thinks are. it's God. Well, right. let me let me add one more angle to this and all this. There's another this angle. Is, no, well, not really. <laughs> I mean, just just in this discussion, it's like um people ha- crave for authenticity. Right? They want authentic relationships. They want authentic um right. you know, so try and, a robot. Right. So try a robot. And and we've sitting here for all these years, all the damage that we've brought into to marriage, that we've brought into sex, and then now yeah. Where are we at? And here's the other thing is is this will this will run us right into Jay Richards is that um, recognize here that this is this all of this this immorality this insanity this sexual anarchy that yeah. we're dealing with yeah. is economic suicide. Oh, absolutely! Oh, it's man. economic yeah. suicide right. because the family is is one of the the central uh, economic building blocks of culture, and I don't mean that just in terms of crass money. I mean that I mean the, an economy literally is a household management, yes. right? Yeah. Um, it's it's the way a household is managed and run, and and it's marriage and the raising of children. Um, that's where God designed fruitfulness. That's right. To begin education about His world, yes. how to manage His world All comes from things. the family. Um, about being um, honest. Yeah. About confessing sin. About forgiveness. About personal, private property. About these yeah, things. That's right. And when you and you say and you blow that apart. What you're blowing apart is the culture. You're you're blowing apart society, and you're blowing up. And, and you know why are there so many people who are poor? Yeah, 
Yeah. Because you keep blowing up families. And you're blowing up God's covenant blessing. Right. Right. And, and, now, and, now, and now kids are growing up, you know, without an intact family, without loving father and mother. And, and now, you know, now are they able to jump into the workforce right away? Are they able to work hard and no. serve and give? No, they're, they got yeah. scars and they're afraid and they're, you know, yeah. they're running. Right. And, and we, we wonder. We did a, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> When we come back, Money Greeting God, the author Jay Richards is with us and you don't want to miss this. Next on Cross Politics. Canon Press is a publishing house located in Moscow, Idaho. Canon Press, we create and provide products that sketch a vision of the whole life, a whole culture, a life full of beauty, tradition, education, community, laughter, and celebration, unashamed of Christ, and sharply at odds with the values of modernity, a mature culture with the church at the center, living out the good life, one family at a time. We believe our book, audio, and visual selections reflect this exciting life that God has given us under the sun. As the wisest man said, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Canonpress.com. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house. Not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world. Not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college, to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu. Welcome back to Cross Politic. With us today, we're really grateful to have uh, Jay Richards. Uh, he has held leadership positions at the Discovery Institute, Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty, and is currently a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's the executive producer of two documentaries, The Call of the Entrepreneur, which is on PBS and Fox Business News, and The Birth of Freedom, released in, uh, in 2009, I believe. Richards has also been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and has appeared what? on Larry King Live. Whoa. Oh, wow. Richard. He uh, also lectured on economic economic myths to members of the U.S. Congress. I wonder how that well, went. I, I'm wondering how we get such a great guest on this show. <laughs> are we paying these people? What, how, what, what are we doing? Jay responded to my email. <laughs> that was a mistake. First of all, that was a mistake. So, so welcome to the show. Oh, wow. Yes. Thanks. It's great to be with you. And uh, we're talking to you in, in are you in D.C.? I am in D.C., actually. How's the weather there today? And actually, we got just a dusting of snow, which, of course, led to mass pandemonium. Yes. <laughs> Shut down. Which we, we want more snow in when, D.C., when, don't we? When <laughs> my, fa- my family moved from Alaska to Maryland when I was 14. And I remember us showing up to school several times when there had been dustings of just a dusting and school had gotten canceled. Yep. And my family just, we just couldn't figure this out because in Alaska, you know, <laughs> it, school, school never gets canceled for anything. Yeah. No, for real. So, no. no of course. No, but nobody quite knows what to do down here. So, yeah, sure. you, you have major emergencies if even there's a, there's a rumor of snow. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, there's the, the, <laughs> the right. bread and milk runs. <laughs> 
So uh, we particularly want to talk to you about your book, Money, Greed, and God. And the subtitle is Mm -hmm. Why Capitalism is the Solution and Not the Problem, uh, which is uh, a terribly provocative title. Yep. Um, so I want to start by just asking you, can you, can you define for our listeners, what is capitalism? And then secondarily, um, why should we think it's a solution? Yeah, it's a great question. In the book, when it came out, I had written it before the financial crisis and the financial crisis happened before the book was released. Oh man. And so the publisher actually came up with that subtitle, you know, why capitalism is a solution and not the problem. Which wasn't my favorite, to tell you the truth, because the word, capital, you know, the word capitalism comes from Karl Marx. He's the guy that invented that word, but Uh-oh. we're sort of stuck with it. And so it, it essentially refers to the economic system that's something like the system that we have here. But to put the sort of best understanding of it, what I talk about in the book, and what we mostly mean by capitalism, is just an economic system in which you have private property, limited government, a rule of law, a banking system, in which people are otherwise, uh, within the rule of law, free to buy and sell and exchange goods and services. So the government doesn't tell you the job you have to uh, do. The government doesn't you know, tell you have to necessarily how much you have to pay people. You're free to make voluntary exchanges with people for stuff that you buy in the marketplace and for, for buying and selling. That's essentially what ca- capitalism in the best sense is. I, I prefer the free term free enterprise, but it's certainly not yeah. the idea that everybody gets to do what they want to do. It's not a not an embrace of greed or anything like I, that. It's just an economic system with the rule of law and economic freedom. That's in you know, and so I think as long as you def- are able to define it properly, it's easy to defend and it's also very easy to show why it's compatible with the Christian worldview. No, if if but Marx comes up with a title, you know, this term, obviously he's not He's not in favor of this term. Why? Why is he? Why is he coining this term in order to? You know, he, yeah, he's trying to did, he's trying to did, label something that he thinks yeah. is a massive yeah. problem. Exactly, and so for Marx, the, the global economy went through various stages. So it started with a kind of primitive slave economy. Think of the ancient Egyptian uh, society in which you got a pharaoh and then a, and a bunch of Jewish slaves. That's kind of the early stage, and something he called feudalism. And then capitalism was the stage, he said, where there were massive collections of capital, that is a whole lot of money and property held in the hands of a few rich guys that have all the gold and own the factories. That's what he meant by capitalism. And then he said that would eventually be overturned by revolution because workers would be so oppressed that they would kill the capitalists. And then the state, that is the government, would own everything on behalf of the people, and that's what Marx called socialism. <laughs> and most people don't know this. That's what Marx actually just thought that was supposed to be a temporary stage until people essentially lost their attachment to their possessions. And then Marx said that the state would <laughs> wither away, and you'd get this utopia that he called <laughs> communism. Uh, that's, the, that's the theory. Magic. You know, it, all, it always got stuck. Everybody tried this, got stuck in that socialist stage. Yeah, and the reason is because Marx completely got the details wrong wasn't true. In fact, when he was writing the Communist Manifesto in 1848, he had predicted that the wages of the workers in the factories should be going down. That's what his theory predicted. Well, the wages of the workers in London, two miles away from his apartment, were going up rather than down. And so it turns out that if you might have wanted to call it capitalism, you might want to say it had nothing to do with anything except a few guys 
owning everything. In fact, everybody ended up better off as a result of his system, and that's why no no economists actually take the theory seriously anymore. Sort of, right? I mean, like in some sense, like we're we're seeing kind of this resurgence of a desire to to have socialism in our economy. I mean, from Bernie Sanders, Absolutely. free education, some of that. And, and then you got, uh, um, free chocolate milk for everybody. <laughs> We're working on that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and this is, this is sort of the dilemma. It's honestly the reason I wrote money, green and God and still work on these issues is that it's hard to find an actual economist uh, who would tell you that Marxism makes sense. It's hard to find an economist that says, yeah, if we collectivize all the Good. farms, we'll all be better off. I've never met, literally never met an economist that said that. Nevertheless, socialism appeals to a lot of people that don't know anything about economics. They don't actually understand what happens you know, to the price uh, function if you do this sort of thing. And so lots of people, including a lot of well-meaning Christians, you know, as long as you're just thinking, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be great if everybody could have free health care and free college education, and you don't think about the fact that, well, no, those are scarcity, so those are going to cost somebody something. Right, well, you can't right. make college free. You can make it free at, the, at the, the, the point of service, right, as long as somebody else has to pay for somebody's that, that's education. Right. That's right. You know, and so, this is, and so these things appeal to us at a, kind of a, a level of moral intuition if we know literally nothing about economics. And that's sort of the difficulty is to say, well, you know what, you should probably learn a little bit about economic reality before you apply your moral intuitions to these things, because otherwise you can end up messing things up very seriously. But that would, I think that's part of, I think, uh, uh, my issue that I see in all this is I think Christians have a good worldview when it comes to, mm-hmm. um, you know, serving one another. They have a good worldview in terms of kind of how we um, want to understand economics. But that, but, but that's not winning the narrative, right? Just because the the under, no. just because you understand economics is actually we're losing the narrative to socialism in some sense. Um, and, and those people don't even care about economics. How do we how do we address that problem of uh, you know the narrative versus reality and what should be happening yep. there? You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's a tough trick because I mean, it's literally what I spend my time doing. And so the first thing I do when I'm talking about these issues is not say, okay, let's talk a little bit about supply and demand curves and the price function. And everyone falls um, asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we all had that macroeconomics class in college. That was designed to prevent you from liking economics. That's what that's for. Yeah. And so you don't lead with that. What you lead with is, okay, what would we want from an economic system? Why are we interested in economics at all? It's usually because we want to know, okay, we'd like people to be free, we would like the poor to be able to be lifted up, we'd like the ordinary person to be able to flourish and have a flourishing life. You say, okay, great, now we're all agreed on that, that's what we want. Now we have to figure out how do you best get that. That is, if you look at the societies around the world, you look at history, what are the conditions by which the most people are able to actually have a flourishing life and get out of poverty? And then to answer that question, well, you've got to look at the details. You've got to look at what's actually happened in economic history. And then everybody's sort of on the same page. We agree about what we want the outcome to be. We agree about what's important. And then everybody knows, okay, well, you can't figure out from your moral intuitions what system works the best. You actually have to do a little studying, just like you're not going to be able to figure out how to make a plane fly as, as an aeronautical engineer, you know, a, a, an airplane builder, by your desire to do that. You have to actually know something about <laughs> Bernoulli's principle and lift and yeah, aerodynamic. Right, right. Same yeah. thing when it comes to economic systems. It's a, you know, it's an empirical question. That is, it's a question about uh, we have to observe 
what do we know has actually worked and what do we know doesn't work. And that's that. Once you get the discussion onto that playing field, it's actually really easy because now everybody realizes that the question isn't what do we want to have happen. It's not a question of our aspirations. It's a question of realities. What do we know actually works and what doesn't work? Now, Jay, what I want to ask you, that's actually I want to t- piggyback on, the, on that and then take you back to something in the beginning that you were talking about. According to what standard, right? Like, why do we want people to have a good life? And then, um, uh, and and who gets to decide what freedom is? Because someone on the right. other side of the scale is say, well, you talk about freedom. Freedom is everybody having what you have, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right? Right. That's right. So, it, so yeah, what, what's your presupposition when you start talking about freedom and liberty? Where are you getting those ideas from that you're drawing from to come up with your conclusion of capitalism? That is a great question. And, of course, it, it, you know, if you're in a room with philosophers, nobody's going to be able to agree as to what freedom is, uh, unfortunately. But what I found, honestly, I think the fact that most people want the poor to be better off, that we think people ought to have dignity, I think that's actually um, derived, frankly, from a Christian worldview. It's Amen. just that even secular yeah. people in the United States, they have the kind of you know, it's like the glimmers of the Christian idea of the, the <laughs> dignity that every person is supposed to have, even if they don't know that. Even the atheist Ayn Rand believed in this dignity of the individual. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways, they're drawing on this Christian worldview when, right. they're, when they're talking this way, even if they're anti-Christian. That, to me, that's a sign of grace. That's God's common Come grace that now. we at Amen. least Amen. have that. <laughs> yeah. You know, as long as people haven't had that sociology class in college and gotten totally confused, yeah. <laughs> they have some idea that, well, you know, slavery and bondage is worse than freedom. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed uh, everything, but at least people ought to have the freedom to try to better their lot, to try to uh, to work for other people and serve other people in order to provide for their children. Most people kind of that's usually not what people will debate on on these discussions. Right. It's not they won't right. say, "Well, freedom's bad," or "It's bad to help your children." They'll it'll really quickly it will get to, "Okay, how best do you do that?" And so, outside the philosophy seminar, people usually can agree on those kind of those those rudimentary details. So, so in so we're we're kind of arrived then at that the 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 point of so why is capitalism the solution? So so you know you get there, yeah. everybody agrees. Yes, we want freedom. We want dignity. We right. want to lift up the poor. Uh, we want to. We want to uh, strive towards a, a maximum human flourishing. Uh, how, how does capitalism get us there? Capitalism gets us there. At least, if, if I'm talking about the system that we more or less enjoy in the United States, that most of the developing world or the developed world enjoys, it's the solution to the main question that people ask in economics, at least. What's the best way to, for large numbers of people to emerge from what economists call absolute poverty? So in other words, that bone-grinding poverty in which people literally don't have enough calories to eat every day, where they don't have shelter yeah. or clothing. Ab- abject, or they abject die. poverty, yeah. yeah. Yeah, abject poverty. I'm not talking about the poverty we have relative to Bill Gates. I'm talking about <laughs> right. <that> very serious <laughs> poverty. So the question is, the economic, biggest economic question is, is there a way for an entire culture to lift itself out of that type of poverty? The answer is yes. There wasn't an answer to that question a thousand years ago, but now mm. we know that societies that have certain properties in common, their people, at least over time, work themselves out of absolute poverty. There'll still be relative poverty. There always will be. But we actually know a pathway up the mountain, if you want to think of it that way. And so that's what the, it, it's only systems that have private property, 
rule of law, detailed uh, property and titling rights, yeah. and economic freedom that actually achieve that. And so if that's the question you want, capitalism is your answer. So, and and it, I'll just press it a little bit more. So, and why? So why um, uh, can you can you point us to some some signposts here? I mean, I know I know that mm-hmm. the, the economics itself is in depth, but nevertheless, the good of private property, um, the the good of, of of freedom of commerce, and you know to buy and sell and so on. Mm-hmm. Why is that objectively uh, better uh, a better solution than? Uh, you know, state-run property or state-owned, yeah. you know, why? As you said, it is. there's several kind of complicated economic answers. One is that that kind of economy best allows us to figure out the economic value of things, best allows us to figure out what the right, correct price ought to be. But a kind of simpler way of saying it would be the answer that Adam Smith did in 1776. He said that the market, what we're, going to, we're calling capitalism, <laughs> It allows us to align our legitimate self-interest in ways that will help our fellow human beings. So in other words, the, mm. the butcher, the brewer, the baker, as Smith said, they don't have to be visualizing world peace or thinking about their neighbor. They might just be wanting to, the butcher might just be wanting to, to pay the rent or get braces for his daughter. But in order to do that in a market, he can't steal from people. He can't defraud them. So the butcher will have to provide meat for customers that they'll freely buy at a price they can afford and to try to do it better than his competitors. In other words, the market uh, system, the capitalist system, allows people to pursue their perfectly legitimate self-interest, but to do it in a way that actually benefits their fellow human beings. And there just isn't any other system that aligns our our self-interest with the collective interest as well as the market system does. In fact, there's not another known system that really does this at all. Now, now Jay, let me let me push back here on this. You said that capitalism is probably one of the best systems that help us kind of define what value is. Um, now, what do you what do you say about minimum wage? Um, the government's defining um, defining what value is, and it's right. it's helping or- it's helping the poor. That, well, that's what people think. But if when people tell me that, I say, so explain to me, because a minimum wage basically tells an employer, okay, you're not allowed to pay anyone below this wage to work for you, even if they're willing to do it freely. And so what people are saying is, okay, well, if that's a good idea, if that's going to help the poor, why don't we make the minimum wage $100 an hour? Because surely people will be yeah. better off at 100 <laughs> than at 15 which is for some reason we've picked 15 this year as the best minimum wage. Well, everybody knows that's crazy, and the reason is because they can know intuitively that, look, you're not going to get a legal job if the minimum wage is $100 an hour unless your labor is worth at least $100 an hour to someone, and it's probably not. And so what people are saying when they say that the poor will be benefited from a minimum wage, they're saying we can help the poor by making it harder for employers to hire them, which makes absolutely right. no sense. I mean, the reality is that there's somebody in any community who is the least experienced and has the least skills. That's the person that most needs to be able to get a simple job, right, the bottom rung of the economic ladder. If you raise the minimum wage, what you basically are doing is cutting off the bottom rungs right. of yep. the economic ladder, and you're harming selectively the very people who most need help. Right. And anyone that understands economics understands this. This is why I often use the minimum wage as kind of a litmus test. People say, oh, I understand supply and demand. I understand prices. Right. I ask them about the minimum wage. And if they can't 
sort of noodle their way through that, then it's clear that they don't quite get economics 101. Right. In, in a, think about like a, 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 if you're in a small town and there's one big, you know, you think about sort of the, a caricature of probably what Marx was envisioning, but you've got this one right. business owner. He owns most of the property in town. He owns the factory. Mm-hmm. Everybody is sort of at his mercy. Um, right. Doesn't the free market in that town allow him to continue to oppress and sort of, you know, uh, keep everyone under his thumb? It do- I mean, it, the, it, the market certainly does. Now, it certainly doesn't. I mean, if you think about it, this is why I'm always amused by people complaining about Walmart. I mean, if you look at Walmart, I don't especially like Walmart myself. I buy everything online. But no, no <laughs> Watch your mouth, has- Jay. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. <laughs> but no company has probably done more for lower-income Americans That's than right. Walmart. Thank you. And Thank so, you. I mean, if you look at the history time. of Walmart in Arkansas, what, what most towns had – before Walmart came along, was there, they talk about the mom and pop store. What it was is the monopoly in your town that didn't have any competition. The way Walmart got big was not by stealing from people, but by showing up and actually creating competition for companies and local stores that weren't doing well and hiring local people. That's right. They got big, not not by being evil, but by being good and serving customers. And so the nice thing, especially about a modern economy, it's actually really hard for people to be monopolist. If you have one store anywhere in the United States that's trying to overcharge you for a basic good, you, you know who's undercutting them is Amazon.com. Yep. <laughs> you know? yes. And so everybody has to, it's almost impossible. You know, a hundred years ago, it would have been easy for a, a store to try to do, could be a semi-monopoly. It's actually very, very hard in 2017 for a company to do that. Yeah. Wow. Jay Richards, who... He's a little hot over here. Money, greed, and God. When we come back, he's going to solve poverty with 10 easy steps. <laughs> you don't want to miss this. Next on Cross Politics. This is Cy Timbrinke with Answer Anyone Apologetics. Somebody comes up to you and says, I don't believe in God. And what do we do? We give them evidence. Look at the complexity of the eye. Look at this paper fragment. Look at these rock layers. And you've studied your rock layers. You wipe the floor with them. What's he going to do? He's going to go home and Google rock layers. You want him to repent and put his trust in Jesus Christ, and he's Googling rock layers. Congratulations. The next day you run into a PhD in geology, and he wipes the floor with you. You see, when you do apologetics wrong, you have to be an expert in geology, biology, astrophysics, nuclear chemistry, you name it. You have to be brilliant. The problem is, there's always someone smarter than you. In John 10:27, Jesus did not say, my sheep hear your really good argument. He said, my sheep hear my voice. In Luke 21:15, Jesus said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. The power of God for salvation is not in your brilliant arguments. As Romans 1.16 tells us, it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apologetics is easy. Read your Bible and do what it says. For more apologetic answers, visit AnswerAnyone.com. Welcome back to Cross Politics. Hope you uh, 
limbered up a little bit, did some stretches, <laughs> ran around the car a few times at the stoplight. Uh, we're back here with Jay Richards, um, who has kindly informed us that uh, I completely botched his bio. <laughs> and uh, so, actually, uh, he found out our our secret of how of of the back the, the dust the dust jacket on the back of the of the, the book. bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. no, so so no, no, Jay. So so fill us in. You were just filling us in, but um, uh, you're at the you're at Catholic University. Just. Maybe, maybe That's f- right. Fill so it out. I'm a professor. Yeah, I'm a pre- professor at the Bush School at Catholic University of America here in Washington D.C. I am still affiliated with the Discovery Institute. I'm also the executive editor of the Stream, which is a conservative and Christian news and commentary site at Stream.org. And yeah, you got my bio off the dust jacket. That's better than I've had before. Some people introduced me using my Wikipedia entry, which I have no control over that. That's totally wrong. Yeah. So. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't lower ourselves to the Wikipedia We level. have a standard over <laughs> here. We do we have stop standards. somewhere. Now, r- yeah. r- Jay, earlier when we were getting set up, you mentioned you have a daughter. Do you, tell us about your family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I have my wife and two daughters. One is uh, 13 and 17. They are they're homeschooled here, and so Great. actually they're in the. I'm working at home today, so um, one's going to graduate from high school, and one's actually in the eighth grade. And we live now. We used to live in Seattle, but we just we live in oh. uh, the sub- suburban Washington D.C. area. Yeah, so you might know us. We're in, we're in Moscow, Idaho, which is just five hours from Seattle. Exactly. That's I, I know exactly where Moscow is. So okay. that's right. I was there. I was in Seattle until just three and a half years ago. Okay. Wow. And uh, now, and are you're at Catholic University? I'm assuming we're assuming you're a practicing Roman Catholic. That's right. I'm yes, I'm Catholic, and I and the stream where I am an editor is a kind of joint evangelical Catholic venture, and so we have editors and contributors, some of whom are all Orthodox Christians, some evangelical of various stripes, yeah. and some yeah. Catholic. So I've been in, sort of involved in joint Christian ventures, actually, for, for most of my career, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Now, so how I, did you, did you grow up in the Catholic Church, or how did you become a Christian? No, I actually how, how, grew, I actually grew, I grew up Presbyterian. Um, uh, wow, man, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's where we come from. That's funny. <laughs> We're going to no, put on I the gloves now. <laughs> yeah, and actually became Catholic, I guess, about almost eight years ago, and so it, it helps because it helps me to be bilingual, so I can speak at. You know, I was speaking at Su- Southern Baptist Seminary a few weeks ago, and I know how to speak Baptist, and I also know yeah. how to speak Catholic, and I know how to speak Presbyterian, which wait, 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 is wait, helpful. Wait. Now, now you got chocolate knocks <laughs> here going on. <laughs> this just became a completely different show. I just. I... <laughs> yeah. What was it that converted you from uh, what what stripe of Presbyterian were you? Were you PCUSA well, I went, or? I, I grew up PCUSA. My home church in Texas, though, is now part of a, a new, the new denomination of PCUSA churches that, that are leaving didn't the... like the way the denomination was going. I... Exactly. And so I had we had moved on after we got married to some, some more conservative churches, actually. So, that. so... But that's where, that's where I grew up. My home church is actually really solid, but, you know, the denomination as a whole has unfortunately got yeah. a seed. Yeah. So what, what was it that, can, that made you do the big jump? What made I you mean, jump was, the shark? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bunch of stuff having to do with, uh, honestly, studying the doctrine of the real presence in the early church, um, studying the formation of the canon, 
Um, and reading the Church Fathers would be—I mean, it's a, like an hour-long description, but that's the—that's probably yeah. the. We're, we're going to have to have Jay on we're, for we're, another we're show. Yeah, we're, we're going to have, have you back, back now. <laughs> Jay, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that on another show. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We're, we're going to form a whole show around that. That's great. That's great. Uh, no, so we we do want to get back to the uh, Chuck. You told us it's, it's the ten top ten ways to alleviate mm-hmm. poverty. Uh, and create wealth. So, so one of the things we want yeah. to get to here in this last segment is just um, focusing in on. I, I think uh, you've you've noted this several times already as we talked to you. But um, the uh, Christ teaches us to that, that we are to, we are to love our neighbors. We are to um, you know James says uh, pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Um, uh, unfortunately. Uh, the left, the liberals have um, mm-hmm. largely hijacked the, the moral high ground, <laughs> and, and, right. and and say we are the ones that are helping the poor. Capitalists are a bunch of greedy thugs, and right. and and at the same time, we're I mean, if if we're the followers of Christ, if we're Christians, and if if we are if we are to lay our lives down and um and see um see the world around us um loved, clothed, fed, sheltered. Um, in the name of Jesus, um, then we're we're the ones that are supposed to be out at the front of this, at the front of this. That's right. right. And and so um, your, um, your 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 uh, list here is is intriguing to us because I think we we agree we want to be at the forefront of that fight. Um, how does Absolutely. how does capitalism? How does the free market, free enterprise? Um, how can we how can we use that? And how can we retake the moral high ground of being those? who are uh, committed uh, to caring for the poor? Well, I think one way I think of this is to say, okay, God created the world with particular rules and structures and principles, some of which we can discover, like the periodic table of the elements. We, you know, chemistry is well understood and it's orderly. Mm-hmm. The same thing in the economic realm. There, so what I would say is there's a normative way that cultures emerge from poverty in the world that God has actually created, and the normative way he does that is with these particular rules and institutions that societies either have or don't have. The normative way isn't charity. It's not what we think of, you know, as, well, I, hmm. I give money to the Salvation Army or to a poor person and it helps them. That's important, but that's like the gleanings in the Old Testament. You know, the Jews were commanded, okay, when you have a harvest, don't harvest all the way to the edge of your property. Leave yeah, right. these gleanings for sojourners, but notice there wouldn't be gleanings if there hadn't been a bountiful harvest. And so the question we want to ask is, where do you get the bountiful harvest culturally? It turns out, in the conclusion of this book, Money, Greed, and God, I I basically listed, based on the evidence as well as I could read it, what are the ten things that if a culture has them, they're almost certain to be able to accomplish this, that Mm. is, to to eradicate absolute poverty. What's funny is it's all immaterial things. It's not natural Mm. resources Mm. or proximity to the ocean or anything like that. Mm. It's things like establishing and maintaining the rule of law so people aren't allowed to kill each other and steal from each other. It's actually not no government. It's not an anarchist dream. You actually need a government that can enforce the rule of law, Mm. but you also need the government to be limited because the government if it's it's out of control and it does things it's not supposed to do it actually becomes the greatest violator of the rule of law and then once you have those things those are absolutely important you can't get the other stuff without it 
then you can encourage economic freedom. So the government is there. It's maintaining the rule of law, but limited. And then it creates this wide space where people are free to engage in voluntary exchanges and decisions without being forced to do it by anyone else. What economists are just more recently now starting to realize, though, is that you don't need just those legal and political and economic things, but you also need a lot of cultural and I would say specifically religious things, things like stable families and civil society and cultural institutions. In fact, if you think about it, most of what we learn, most of what we need to learn, we don't learn from the government. We don't even learn in the That's economy. Right. We learn in the small society of a family. And if a child yeah. has that, he gets most of what he needs to get on in the world. And if he doesn't have it, unfortunately, in many cases, he doesn't get that. And so there are actually a whole group of economists called the New Institutional Economists focusing on the role of families and institutions, actually, in <laughs> prosperous economies. Imagine that. Actually, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. No, who would have thought it? That's a novel crazy? idea. Yeah. You know, it took the economics uh, profession about 100 years to get around to it, though. <laughs> and then the stuff that I focus on that's uh, a little less well understood and, and recognized is the role that cultural beliefs play. So that if people have the right kind of metaphysical beliefs, if they think the world is rational, if it's created by a, a single rational God, that's actually much more conducive to a prosperous economy than, say, mm. imagine a culture in which everybody thinks, well, there are all these nature gods running around, and you have to appease them with little sacrifices and voodoo dolls, and you don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. We don't believe in a right. rational yeah. order, yeah. right? That's actually very bad for an economy to have a culture that's <laughs> like that. Yeah. And, and that's why we, it's ironic, but as, as quickly as our culture is trying to shed Christianity, we still benefit from that basic heritage, this kind of basic assumption that even atheists have that the, na the natural world is ordered. Well, and it, then, uh, you know, you get that you also have to have some understanding of economics. I mean, if you think that the only way you can get rich is by making somebody poor, uh, then you're going to probably not get the way this thing works. And so it does help. And this is where I spend all my time is mm -hmm. trying to help people connect a good understanding of economics with the Christian worldview. You know, the, that that picture, though, of the sort of polytheistic, you know, gods and demons and fairies under every mm -hmm. rock and tree. I mean, the modern version of that, though, that the world is random, is, evolu yes. is evolution. It, that's right. I mean, I mean we, this is the sort of irony, is that we people now, that secularists hold both of these ideas in their heads. They still have this, like, they'll talk about natural law. A lot, like natural law, that didn't make any sense if there's not a law. <laughs> you you mean right? random law. <laughs> right. Yeah, look up that word. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, you yeah, have yeah. that, you mean, but then you also have chance and random processes somehow doing all the, the creating right. simultaneously. Right. And so what you're really, you're kind of two different views of reality, people trying to kind of peg them together, that what's worrisome is when people completely abandon the theistic view, which is, I think, where unfortunately things could go. But we yeah. still, the truth of the matter, as bad as things are, we're still much better off here uh, than in a lot of, in, say, say in Haiti, uh, where this is still not fully taken, unfortunately, right. after th even 300 years. And so, you know, while I am, am frustrated by the ways in which Americans seem to be casting off our Christian heritage, I also am thankful that there's still a lot of it kind of built down into the bones That's of people's right. assumptions, even if they don't know it. Yeah, yeah. One of the th things I was thinking of when you were describing, you know, these these things that economists are just sort of stumbling on, you know, like oh, family, and you know, these sort of less. <laughs> le I mean, again, if you're if you're thinking in a thoroughly Darwinian 
materialist worldview. Not only is everything random, but everything is basically determined by your your environment. So, right. so the re- you know, so the reason economies flourish is because you are you know closer to the ocean, or because you have fertile ground, or you know because of right. your, your genes, or what, I mean, whatever. It, it's all yeah. it's all determined, or because you're Protestant. <laughs> no, it's all it's all that. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's the, there's a book by a guy named Jared Diamond that came out some years ago called Guns, Germs, and Steel. That's what that <laughs> book is about. It's basically. You know, the reason that this place is prosperous is simply because of the geography or simply because they figured out how to make steel first. Now, of course, those are important things. Sure. But I can give you one example why that's got to be wrong. The Korean Peninsula, right? Now, the Korean Peninsula is the most ethnically homogenous place on Earth. The same history, same people, same weather, same climate. And yet North and South Korea could not be more different. The <laughs> yes, only difference yes. is the politics and the economics and the culture. Right. And incidentally, South Korea now the, uh, the largest plurality of religion in South Korea is Christianity. Mm. And 100 years ago, there wasn't a Christian on that peninsula. And so that wow. shows you how much these kinds of things, these, these immaterial realities, cultural assumptions and institutions, are way more important than things like natural resources. I mean, Tanzania is an unbelievably rich in natural resources. It's dirt poor. Hong Kong, they don't have anything. It's some rocks sticking up out of the ocean. Uh, <laughs> and and then people will risk their lives to get there. So that tells you that it's institutions and ideas that really play the most important role in economics. You know, my, my pastor said, if you, if you get a map of the world and you look at everywhere where uh, basically economies have flourished and, mm. and, and what's under writing all that is the gospel. So basically everywhere the gospel's taken root, what's followed from that is fruit of a of a thriving economy. And you can almost yeah, you can almost map a, it out. Yeah, there's an incredible correlation between yeah, essentially the the role of Christianity and the role of economic prosperity. I mean, obviously the details are complicated, but sure. there's a great book by Rodney Stark called The Victory of Reason. It's essentially about this, the role that Christianity yeah, played. I, I read that. That's a great book. Not just in religious freedom, but in economic freedom and prosperity, oh, okay. too. Oh. Number nine of the ten <laughs> best ways yeah. to alleviate poverty. You say focus on your competitive advantages rather than protecting right. <laughs> what used to be your competitive advantage. What do you mean by that? <laughs> what I mean is that every, every person, every country, every people group is going to have something that they can either that they can do better than others or that they can at least do the least bad. That's called comparative advantage. And so, in other words, if you're in Norway, it makes sense that you don't focus on growing bananas. Uh, it makes sense <laughs> that you say, I think we'll trade bananas with the Nicaraguans and we'll focus on fish and stuff that we do well. That's the idea of a competitive advantage. In other words, focus on that. And then uh, the basic economics, this is what's called Ricardo's Law of Comparative Advantage, is that even if you were a country that could do everything better than everybody else, you are still better off doing the thing that you can do the best of all and allowing other people to do the things that they can do well and then trading with them. And as a result of that, we all end up better off as a result. That's probably the hardest lesson for people to get. And so we assume that, oh, hey, this is made in China. Somehow we'd be better off if we made it here. Sometimes that's true. 
But you know that can't be right, because if, if that were correct, that would mean we'd all be richer if we just traded with our neighbors here. Wow. I'm on a street in Northern yeah. If I just traded with these people right here, I'd have a really local economy trading with the five houses around me. That's crazy. I, you'd be yeah. a subsistence farmer at best. The reality is that when people can use their God-given talents, and including the things that people just happen to like or the things they're close to, and then we're able to freely trade with each other, everybody ends up better off as a result. See, this is one of the most firm discoveries of economics. Every economist, left, right, and center knows this, and yet it's still a very hard lesson to get wow, through to people. Man. And, th- and this it really is, I mean, this is a, it lines up, parallels perfectly with um, the, whole, the whole idea of the body of Christ. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, this is the, the, is the church. The church Catholic, you know, is is the universal body of Christ. All believers in Jesus across the world, and and even you know beneath that, we you know affirm just the image of God in all yes. in all human beings, which means that they're endowed with particular gifts from God, yes, and that's right. And those gifts are for the good of the world. And and That's when, exactly it. and when you find what those giftings are, what your calling is before God, you, he's you're you're being you're, you're finding the treasure that He's given you, the talent He's given you to go invest for the good of the world. That's exactly it, and that's I mean you can see how this is the conclusion of my book is that. Um, when you think, okay, why does this type of economic system work better than any other? It's because it allows us to channel the fact that we're made in the image of God into creative activity in which God creates the world, he creates the sand, and then he leaves it to us to create the fiber optic cables and the computer <laughs> yeah, chips. Yeah. You know, he gives yeah. us, the, as Dom Thomas Aquinas said, God grants to creatures the dignity of causality. He allows us yeah. to be able to participate in this yeah. way. And that's so that, in, in many ways, Christian theology, I think, finally, ultimately explains why this type of economic system works better than any other, because we know, we understand the truth about man, it's about like, humanity. It's like, it's like uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's idea of sub-creators, even, like that whole idea that, exa- that, that we... Exactly. Because we're made in the image of the Creator, we, we, we are made to create and make things just like, just like He is. Just like he is, and just like he commanded the first man and woman in yeah. Genesis one to be fruit, to be fruitful and multiply. This has been fantastic conversation, Jay. Yeah. We've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for your time. You know, we're gonna have to set something up, and we're gonna have to have a, a Protestant Catholic throwdown. <laughs> uh, I was, I was thinking about. We want you back, Jay. We want you back. Yeah, this is <laughs> my pleasure. It's great to be with you all. Jay Richards, author of Money, Greed, and God. I'm sure you can get it at Amazon or a link from our page. You can buy it from there. Supportcrosspolitik.com. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics.